Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 and you have a choice this morning how you will worship the scripture says of the jesus that i know that he made himself of no reputation and came in the form of a bond servant he came in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of a man, he came obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross, that God left his throne in heaven to come as a baby, to suffer, to experience hunger and cold and, and heat, to be despised, to be spit upon, to, to, be su to suffer upon a cross, the, the excruciating torment of the cross. He did that to reach me, to reach you. There's no tower that you can build because that bridge has already been built, and Jesus was that bridge. He came to reach you. He came to reach out his hand to you. This is what the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not the result of works so that no one can boast. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. You know what that scripture is telling me? That even the faith that you have to put in the Lord is a gift that God gives. It isn't something that you muster up. It isn't something that you can try hard enough. If you believe enough, if you, if you can just believe a little bit more, then you can be saved. No, your faith that you have in your life is a gift that God has given you. That's how you're saved. It's not of works so that no one can brag before the Lord. The scripture says that Jesus is the way the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. The scripture says that there's one name given under heaven by which men can be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. And so here, Nimrod says, I'm going to build a gateway to God. I'm going to lead people, and I'm going to rebel against God, and I'm going to reach the heavens. There's no way he'll judge me with a flood again. I'm going to actually take the fight to God. The scripture says there's no gateway to God other than Jesus Christ himself. The only way you get into the presence of the Father is through the Son. Have you met Jesus today? See, when you read that text in Genesis chapter 11, he says that, it says that they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to be well known. They wanted to people to know who they are. And this is a danger that every single one of us struggle with. Those of you who maybe are a little bit older in life, you've raised your children, maybe you have some grandchildren now, you're at the age where you're maybe considering retirement, you're considering maybe just a shift, a, a, a change in life. This really, I think, is a struggle that, we, that, that those of you who are in that stage of life would have. Because you come to this point in life where you know, you've accomplished pretty much what you want to accomplish. There's not much more for you to accomplish, but you begin to start thinking about what kind of legacy you're going to leave behind. What am I going to be known? When I'm gone, what will people think of me? How will people remember me? What kind of impression have I left on other people? Can you hear the arrogance and the pride in those statements? But that's, that's the struggle that we all have, is it not? 
right? There's this struggle. I want to make sure that I make a name for myself, that people remember me. And so in their case, they wanted to build this amazing monument, this amazing tower, so that people would look and say, man, look at what they did. Look at what they accomplished when they put their mind to it. Look at what their hard work paid. Look at what they left behind. Jesus warns of a man in Luke chapter 2, calls him a rich farmer who has an amazing fruitful harvest and he brings it in and his barns are bursting at the seams and he can't even fit any more into his barns. And so he says, what am I going to do with all that I've accomplished? What am I going to do with all that I've gained? He says, I know what I'll do. I'm going to build bigger barns so that I can bring in more stuff, so that I can save more stuff, so that I have more stuff. And then by the time he's finished building these barns, he sits back, he kicks up his, in his feet and he reasons in his heart, now you can just sit back and relax Enjoy your life because of all the hard work you've done. And then the Lord comes to him that day. He says, fool, this night your soul is required of you. What good is all of the stuff you have now? I wonder if in our haste to try to make a name for ourselves, we have forsaken something that the Lord has wanted us to do. See, in the book of Yasher, it's a Hebrew, it's an extra biblical Hebrew apocryphal writing, okay? It, it, it isn't canonized as scripture, but it's actually referenced in the Bible. In 1 Samuel, you can read, 1 Samuel chapter 1, you can read about this book of Yasher being referenced. You can also read about it in Joshua chapter 10. But this book, the book of Yasher, in, in, uh, in Yasher chapter 7, it speaks about the f- fact that uh, Nimrod is renamed to Amraphel. And Amraphel, what the, his name literally means is he who causes to stumble or to fall. And Nimrod did end up making a name for himself, and it was the fact that he caused all of the people to be dispersed. He caused the tower to crumble and to fall. And this is right in line with what the scripture says in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If you've lifted yourself up in pride, you have to know that that destruction, that humility, that humbling experience is right around the corner. Why? God says that he gives grace to the humble, but he despises the proud. He opposes the proud. The book of Jeremiah says this, the Lord says this, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and he knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Don't boast in your riches, don't boast in your works, boast that you know the living God. That's the only thing that you should boast in. Paul the Apostle was very successful when it came to the religion of, of the Jews. And he had many accomplishments. But in Philippians chapter 3, he says, All of those things that were gained to me, I counted as loss so that I might know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. All I want now is to know Jesus. I don't care about any of that other stuff. The only thing that I'm going to boast or brag in is the fact that I know the Lord. That's all that matters to me. Here's a man, Nimrod, caught up in rebellion. And what I want you to understand today is the same spirit that caught up Nimrod, trapped Nimrod in rebellion, is at work in our lives and in our hearts today that tendency in us to raise our fist to God and say, God, I can do this on my own. God, I don't need you. God, I can get to heaven through the gate that I will build. 
So we see that work of rebellion. The second work I want you to see is the work of destruction. Again, Genesis chapter 10, verse 8. Cush fathered Nimrod, rebel. He was the first on the earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. The mighty hunter. Now, think for me just for a moment. Here's a man. Historians tell us he was the first man to tame dogs or to train dogs to hunt. He was the first man to break a horse and to ride a horse in, in the process of hunting. He was the first one to use a bow and an arrow. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. But think with me just for a moment. What does, the, what, what does a hunter do? How does a hunter hunt? The first thing he does is he is he's one who's a stalker of prey. He will lie quietly and secretly and wait for the opportune moment to jump out and to take his unsuspecting prey. Right? And the scripture says that in 1 Peter chapter 5, that your enemy is like a roaring lion, walking, stalking you, seeking whom he may devour. He wants to tear you to shreds. Jesus said that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. The word destroy means to annihilate, to ruin your life. That's what the enemy wants to do. He's stalking you right now as we're speaking in this message. He is stalking you. He's lying in the tall grass waiting for the opportune moment for you to come by so that he can jump out and to tear you to shreds and to ruin your life. Not only do they stalk their prey, they also are a layer of snares. Some hunters, they hunt by trapping, right? And they leave these snares throughout the wilderness and they attach a little bit of bait. And that bait is irresistible for the, one who, for, for the animal that they're trying to capture, right? And so they come and they take that bait. And as soon as they take the bait, the trap snaps closed and uh, you know, they're, they're caught. They're caught in the snare. Paul to Timothy, he says, we need to pray for people that they are delivered from the snare of the enemy, that the enemy is laying these snares out there. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes. The word schemes means craftiness, the strategy, the wiles of the devil. Clothe yourself in the armor of God so you can stand against the strategies of the devil. Right? Look at what this verse says. We read this earlier in Daniel chapter 8. It says that the Antichrist, through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. The word cunning, it means insight. It means understanding. It means skillfulness. That the Antichrist, that Satan knows exactly what it will take in order to trap you in that bait. I've become very good at trapping mice at my house. We live out in the country, and anytime the fields are harvested, it's like the, the, the mice need to escape, so they find their way into my home. It is just, just, just like beyond me. How do they get into the home, right? So I had to become very good at trapping these mice. You have to know what they like and what they don't like, and you put out the bait that they like, and as soon as they come and see that bait, they're trapped. This is the same thing the enemy does with us every single day. He knows what it will take to trap you. He knows what it will take to distract you. He knows that if your children are not walking with the Lord, you're going to be distracted from the Lord yourself. He knows that if you're struggling to, to meet uh, ends financially, that you're going to be distracted from the Lord. He knows that if someone in your life is sick, that you're going to be distracted from the things of the Lord. He knows that if there's some sort of discord or disunity in your family, that you're going to be distracted from the things of the Lord. He's lying, laying out these little pieces of bait in order for you to come and to be snared in his trap, to be taken in his trap, and he doesn't care anything about you. All he wants to do is to rob you from the Lord. The Lord wants you, and the enemy wants to rob you from his grace. 
those fears and those insecurities and those guilt, those guilt trips, those are all pieces of bait that the enemy has left to trap you. Now, the, the Targum, which is an Aramaic interpretation or paraphrase of the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, declared that Nimrod was so powerful with his gift of persuasion that he had the ability to convince people to follow him even when it didn't seem to make sense. And this is the same way that the enemy operates. Why do you keep falling into that same sin? Why do you keep struggling with that lust? Why do you keep struggling with that addiction? Why can't I stop talking to this person? Why can't I stop watching these things? Why can't I stop lying this way? It's because the enemy knows how to persuade you to follow after him, just like Nimrod. And he's, persu- he's just guilting you along. He's just dragging you along and away from the presence of the Lord. In the Talmud, which is uh, a commentary of the Jewish rabbis on the Old Testament, the writers of the Talmud actually said that Nimrod, this translation here, that he was a mighty hunter, it literally is, is not just a mighty hunter, but he was a mighty hunter of men's souls. That just like the Lord wants your soul and he wants you to be satisfied and content in his presence, that the enemy wants to hunt for your soul and to take you from God. This is happening to you right now this morning. Whether you know it or not, whether you admit it or not, the scripture says this in Ephesians chapter 6, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That there is a battle that is being raged right now for your soul, and the enemy wants your soul. He wants to steal you and rob you from the presence of God. Right? He's a hunter of your soul. All he wants for you is destruction. He wants to lead you into rebellion and to destruction. The third thing, if you're taking notes there, is he wants to lead you into deception. To understand what this is, we need to reference Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Bible scholars, with this deception, they refer to this literally as the proto-evangelium. It's the first preaching of the gospel that we have in the scripture. And this is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is speaking to the serpent. This is God speaking to the enemy, speaking to to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, capital S, her seed. A a woman doesn't have a seed. A woman has the egg in procreation, right? So this is is referencing a virgin birth. This is referencing the Messiah that is to come. I'm going to put enmity between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, and, or excuse me, he, sh- he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Some versions say, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. Okay, so this first preaching of the gospel is given. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to deceive us from that gospel that is to come, that message of gospel, the message that there's a Messiah who will come, the message that there's a Jesus who will come, a virgin that will become, that will come and will be born of a virgin who will save us from our sins. So how does this deception take place? It's found in, in this, we're going to look at this story now. It's good, we're going to park here for a little while. It's a story of a man by the name of Nimrod, where we're looking at, his wife named Semiramis and their son named Tammuz. Now, I'm going to post later on, I'll post my 
notes for this sermon so you can see who I'm referencing and whom I'm quoting. But Because a lot of these sources are extra-biblical sources. You, these are stories that are not canonized in Scripture that you find in history and that you find through reading different commentaries, different Hebrew literature, uh, different Greek and Babylonian historians, all right? But you can read about this in John Corson's commentaries. You can read about this in Chuck Smith's commentaries, John MacArthur's commentaries, the Believer's Bible Knowledge Commentary, or uh, Bible Knowledge Commentary, all of these different sources, the Forerunner Commentary, all of these different trusted sources all reference this same story of, of Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz. Now, are you ready for this? Buckle your seatbelt, all right? In the book of Yasher, chapter 7, Again, an extra-biblical source, it's a, a Hebrew apocryphal writing that is referenced in the Hebrew Old Testament. The, the account goes that Nimrod inherited the skins of Adam and Eve. Remember the skins that God, they, they had tried to make for themselves, or they, they had covered themselves with, uh, with leaves and God gave them skins to cover their nakedness after the fall? that Nimrod inherited these skins. So the story goes that Enoch gave them to Methuselah, Methuselah gave them to Noah, Noah had them stolen by, by uh, Ham, Ham gave them to Cush, and Cush gave them to Nimrod. About the age of 20, Nimrod puts on these skins, and this is why he becomes such a mighty hunter before the Lord, because these skins are recognized by the creation, and the animals kind of just surrender to Nimrod. Okay, now, this, this stuff gets kind of interesting, and there's a lot of, of facts that I want to go through. You can take down some notes, but the writer Clement, who was a, a companion of Peter, he writes that the king of Assyria, the first king of Assyria was named Ninus, that Ninus and Nimrod are one and the same, that this first king of Assyria named Ninus is the same man in history as Nimrod. Okay, now, did you notice there in Genesis chapter 10, did, let's read it again, verse 10, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, then Erech, then Akkad, then Kalna in the land of Shinar, verse 11. From that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh. The, the word Nineveh literally means the habitation or dwelling place of Ninus, the first king of Assyria. Okay, so these, these sources are saying that Nimrod and Ninus are one and the same person. History shows us Right? You can find this on Wikipedia, that the wife of Ninus, her name was Semiramis. Okay? The, the legend goes like this, that Semiramis was first found by Ninus on one of his conquests in the city of Erech. And there in Erech, he went to a brothel, and he finds Semiramis there and becomes enamored with her and wants to take her as his wife. But that isn't a very good look for the future king, Right? So they develop a plan. They come up with a story about how he found uh, Semiramis. And the story goes like this, that, that Semiramis was born miraculously, that she wasn't born of a woman, that she descended from the moon in an egg and landed in the Euphrates River and hatched a fully grown woman. And then Nimrod happened to find this fully grown woman, all right? So this is the story. Again, it doesn't sound good to come back and say, hey, look, I found a new prostitute. No, I found this woman out in, the, out, out in the wild. She was fully grown. You know, God sent her to me, basically, is what the story goes, right? So he finds this woman, Semiramis, and they become married, right? Now, it, over the course of time, Nimrod dies. And there are two different stories about how Nimrod dies. 
Uh, Alexander Hislop, you can read that book later if it interests you. It's a book called The Two Babylons. Uh, Alexander Hislop says that Shem, the righteous son of Noah, sees the wickedness of Nimrod. So he goes and he kills Nimrod, dismembers his body, and sends parts of his body to all of the different cities that Nimrod founded as proof that Nimrod is no god. He's just a man. In the book of Yasher, uh, the book of Yasher actually says that Nimrod was slain by Esau, the grandson of Abraham. All right, and that again, these pieces connecting. It's it's interesting because the story goes like this: that Nimrod uh, was out in the in the wilderness one day with a couple of his companions. And Esau, who also was a mighty hunter, sees Nimrod, who is the enemy of his father Abraham, and he sees an opportunity. So he lies in wait, and as Nimrod approaches, Esau jumps out, beheads him, and then kills the two companions. The rest of the entourage of Nimrod hears what's happening, and so Esau runs back to his father's house, and he comes into his father's house just as Jacob has prepared some porridge or some stew. And there he comes in, and he knows that he's being chased by Nimrod's entourage, and so Jake, he meets Jacob, and Jacob says, you know what, if you give me your birthright, I will give you this stew. And at that point, Esau's thinking, I'm going to be killed in just a few moments. What good is my birthright? Give me the stew. You guys remember this story from Scripture? Right? So this is the context that they're giving in the book of Yasher. Again, it's, it's not inspired literature. It's not canonized. This is, could just be legend, right? But this is what it says. In any case, Nimrod dies. He's either dismembered or he's beheaded. Either way, it's terrible, right? Now, his wife, Semiramis, is in a difficult place because she enjoyed the power that she had being the wife of Nimrod. So she grieves publicly and then goes before the people after a few days and says that she miraculously saw the spirit of Nimrod ascend to the heavens and become one with the sun, one with what would become Baal. You hear the stories of Baal and the worship of Baal? The sun god, one with Ra or Osiris in the Egyptian culture, that the spirit of Nimrod ascended and became one with the sun. Days later, she goes to the people and she says, something miraculous has happened. She knows the gospel. She knows the proto-evangelium. She knows Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, not that it was in writing during those days, but this was oral tradition, stories passed down. She knows that there's going to be a miraculous birth that is going to be the savior of the people. And so she says, something miraculous has happened in my womb. I was there and I felt the sun's rays. My husband, Nimrod, he impregnated me with a son from the rays, and now I'm with child, miraculously, I've been impregnated by this deity, and now the child that I carry in my womb is the son of God. Are you following me? Now, because this has happened, and because she she claims this to be the case, now, interestingly enough, this happens in the season of March, April, and nine months later, Tammuz, the son, is born on December 25th right, where we celebrate the birth of Christ. It's really not the birth of Christ. This is a pagan holiday that we kind of stole as church tradition, right? Okay, so, so now Tammuz is born December 25th. At that point, when he's born, she takes on the name Queen of Heaven. You can read references to the Queen of Heaven in, in Jeremiah chapter 7, 
and how they're rebuked for worshiping or, or falling into the idolatry of the queen of heaven. You can read about her in Jeremiah chapter 44. But she takes on the name queen of heaven. Why? Because she descended from the moon in an egg and was born. And now she's given birth to the son of God. She goes on to, to say this. She goes on to say that not only have I given birth to the son of God, but this son of mine is my husband reincarnated. And so she marries her own son when he becomes of age. In the book of Revelation chapter 17, speaking of this woman, speaking of Babylon, now the, the word Babylon is the Greek translation of Babel, gateway to God. Babylon is the Greek translation of that. Speaking of this, this is what it says about her in Revelation chapter 17. It says, and, and on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977